Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. Such sights to show you. Strange Eons. Hey everybody, welcome to another exciting episode of Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric Morgrid over there. Hello. I'm Kelly Young, and today we have a very special guest, Vanessa Williams. Hi there. Hi, how are you doing? I'm really good, how are you? Fantastic. Vanessa, in the past when we've had guests, I used to play like a little game that would make Eric look really stupid and all that. But quite honestly, he's looked so stupid lately <laughs> that I feel bad for him. Oh, no. And instead, what I'd like to do is kind of do a mini interview with you, if you don't mind, before we get to our movies. I don't mind at all. That'd be great. Fantastic. So can you kind of walk us through the hero's journey of Vanessa Williams? Oh, what's going God. on and how you... I, let everybody know what you do and why you're a guest. Wait. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, so I'm a film editor. Mm-hmm. Um, I also did some film studies back in the day. So I, I know a little bit. I'm not uh, a total plebe when it comes to film <laughs> knowledge and how to dissect a movie. Um, but uh, in my current life, um, I spend all day, every day in a tiny dark room by myself making stories happen out of total garbage. So not always, just, just sometimes, I mean, beautiful, amazing, uh, shots that everyone got perfectly. The actors uh, did an amazing job every time. Um, yeah, but, uh, no, no, the hero's journey, I guess I, uh, grew up on a tiny Island. I was always interested in storytelling. I, um, flew away as far as I could to England, um, stayed out there for 10 years. When did you do that? Um, so right after high school, I started studying abroad when I was at Western Washington university and then just kept cheating the system and studying abroad and studying abroad <laughs> nice. until finally um, they were they were like, okay, you can't keep studying here. Um, so I got a job and was able to continue to be out there. I worked over at um, Technicolor for a couple years. Okay. And yeah. Then uh, finally decided to come home. Why? Why? Why would you come back home? <laughs> that is such a good question. Um, I, I mean, I love London. It is um, an incredible city. But my family is all in Washington State, and as you watch, you know your nephews and nieces start to come into planet Earth, and then your <laughs> yeah. parents get older. I was like, you know, right? I had my twenties. I had a great time. I drank a lot. <laughs> I, I can come home now. It's it's all right. That's fantastic. So what are you doing? Well, what are you working on right now? You came to uh, our notice with your short film, Heart, which played at a film festival that Eric was running at the time, which was amazing. Oh, thank you. And then I didn't meet you until many, many years later. And and we met and Eric was like, this is the girl who made a heart. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Intercede real quick on Heart. That was the first short film, best short film award in Maelstrom International Fantastic Film Festival mm. gave out and uh, still ranks probably in my thousands of shorts I've probably seen in the 15 some odd years of doing film festivals. That still sits in my top probably 10. Oh my gosh. Of short films I thought you were going to say like top ever. 50. I was like, oh, no, that's I, so amazing. He told me top 50 earlier, but I guess <laughs> since you're sitting here. It's okay. Right I, I'm, I'm going to lower my expectations. Um, yeah. There aren't a lot of short films that hit that emotions. Right. You know, there's. That's more of an emotional hit as opposed to 
a scare or a laugh or something like that, which you right. know, is great for short films, but you actually hit emotion. A lot of people don't hit. In right. Short films. Like isolation. And I was doing the whole people wearing antlers like way mm-hmm. before the game <laughs> hit that. So I want to take credit for all of that. Um, it, yeah, it was a really uh, wonderful piece that I'm, I'm still very proud of. I think um, of course I'm like, I wish there were some things I could change, but um, oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it was a fantasy piece. So I do do a bit of writing, directing and, and that was that was my, gosh, I think that was my third short film oh. that I'd ever made. Uh, and so now I'm I'm actually trying to get back into that universe and just uh, finish writing a feature film. So um, maybe that'll also make it into the universe. And it's got some interesting themes in it too. It's using horror to talk about some really um, in deep issues, especially for for girls uh, who have to make their way through relationships and find themselves again. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So it's so, a full-on horror genre film, though. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. There's uh, gore. There's nudity. There's running through the woods. Wow. <laughs> I mean, there's the annoying neighbor that you just really want to die and may or may not do so <laughs> at your pleasure. So, yeah, it's, it's full-on horror, and I, I really want to use that genre to, to find a way to get at something much, much deeper. So it's got a lot of fantastical elements in it. Plus, who doesn't love like things like Swamp Thing? So it's oh, very hello. Swamp Thing meets Tarkovsky. Wow. <laughs> yep. Okay. I went there. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I think Alan Moore might actually appreciate that. Right. I, I should write him. I think he'd actually be furious. He'd be like, you dare oh, talk say, about my work. I was going to say, you should write him. Let us know how that goes. Oh my yeah, gosh. Go. He just shows up in a trench coat ready to like take me down. <laughs> and, and you're like, here's a dollar. Go, oh, Alan Moore. Sorry. I thought you were a homeless guy. <laughs> Easily mistaken. Easily. Isn't he in some kind of weird comic war with some other guy in London? Everybody. And, uh, really? Really? Comics, yeah. He oh, he's so pissed off at DC Comics in general because the deals he made with him with Watchmen and stuff yeah. like that, where that rights would revert to him when right. the comic went out to went out of print, and so DC has just kept the comic in print forever. <laughs> and so that's, that's very clever. Yes, and so he's very angry at them. He hates the. What is idea. he going to do with it? I mean, he's done with it. Like he did an amazing, beautiful, perfect comic. What What does he want with the rights back? Just Originally, more money. I thought that maybe that's what he wanted. Was you know he wanted to be able to control the flow of money. Yeah. Now I think it's that he wants to be able to control his art. Yeah. And so if he's mm-hmm. if he's done with people seeing this, then it's like, okay, you know, you're going to have to find a used copy if you want it anymore. It's it's just really tough cuz be. you get that kind of um phenomenon phenomenon that you see with Stephen King where it's like, no, look, your your books are great. Stop criticizing literally everyone who tries to do something with it. <laughs> like it's I like people can make awesome art out of awesome art. It's it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Well, King's the opposite. He'll come out and say, you know, oh, the Dark Tower movie was great, you Which guys. Is so weird. And, yeah. Well, something built into his contract that basically says, I won't badmouth your film. And in fact, for a small percentage, I will also promote it <laughs> or at right. least say that it was good. <laughs> something like that. It's got to be because he was whinging for a very long oh, time. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you got to get off Kubrick, man. I'm sorry. I know that this is a deep cut, but I've seen your like straight to TV stuff and it's not fun. Or the one he directed. Come on, man. Oh, Maximum geez. Overdrive. That fucking, was an amazing yeah, movie. Yeah, don't you even fucking with me. I got Ooh. the poster hanging in the living room right now. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's a well-made film. No. It is madness. <laughs> it is just cocaine yes. on fire with a paint bucket. 
I heard somebody, I don't know what I was listening to, but somebody described it as, you can smell the cocaine on this film. You so can. Yeah. I've never been so terrified of vending machines in all my life. I was like, run, boy, run. Your head's going to be impaled by a Coke can. King's even said that he has zero recollection of directing that film. Oh, my God. That's surprised. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, okay, so you have a short film coming up in the Crypticon Film Festival. I do, yeah. yes. Um, so that short film is called Side B. Um, it's uh, also a semi-little horror movie that I made um, very quickly. I kind of challenged myself to get back into uh, making and creating films as quickly as I could because I'd been out of the game for a while. So a friend of mine was like, you have to make a movie. We're, we're making all of our friends are coming together. We're all making little wow. short horror films. Uh, so please do. And I was like, I don't know. He's like, no, you're doing it. <laughs> so I wrote side B and felt pretty, pretty solid about it. Um, really quickly shot it. I think, I think there's a lot of good in there. I think yeah. the pacing's a little off for me personally, but it's, you know, sometimes you don't know until you shoot what you're missing. So I think what you got the best in the short film is the performance. Oh my gosh. The, the lead is. is oh, McKenna really, was really great. Good. Yeah. I had a, um, the, the entire performance, um, depends on this girl who has to act like a, a vapid, um, Twitch streamer mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. And having been in that world, um, on and off temporarily, I kind of knew what that vibe was. And so McKenna, um, this is probably the only young actress I know who's not in SAG and she should be, she's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I just stole her. I'm, I feel so lucky cause I know that she's going to be expensive now, but, um, she just, she, she blew it away considering she doesn't watch YouTube. Oh really? And is not oh, at all a part of the modern world. And I was like sending her clips and just being like, okay, so, and I was like, all right. Uh, and you're going to do this Fer- Ferris Bueller joke, which I had to cut. I think I cut it from the film. Um, and she was like, I don't know what this joke is. I'm like, Oh my God, the young people don't know Ferris Bueller. This is a tragedy. Uh, but it was just, uh, so much fun directing her. And um, it was a super um, intense performance as well because they're all oneers. So she has to get the performance (laughs) correct without a punch in, without a cut. Wow. Yeah. So um, in that, we only had one day to shoot the majority of the film. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So um, she just did a great job. She she just uh, completely hit it out of the ballpark. However there were still some pauses and some performancey things in there. So as an editor, I tried to make fake loading errors oh, built in. So smart. it pauses and judders here and there. And that gives me just enough time to put in these weird fake, like jagged movements that help cover my cuts. Oh, well, can you smart, give man. us a, <laughs> a non-spoilerly, premise of what the film is um okay so yeah i know it's really tough because with short films it's kind of like a moment so it's hard not to ruin the moment but um it's about a a twitch streamer who returns home for summer break and uh is recording daily and some weird things start showing up in her videos okay i like it i can't wait to see it eric has seen it because of course he runs the festival it's pretty good and i will have to wait yeah i'm excited uh, i'm excited to hear what people think part of three or four very tech based stuff. Like I mentioned live scream yeah. in our last podcast, right. which is like, have you seen or heard about that one? Is yet? that made by a guy named Brian? Uh, the director is a woman. I'm oh, not sure. Okay. Never okay. But, um, <laughs> but it's, it's basically, so you, you know how that's set up. You got the guy who's on the camera mm-hmm. and the, 
uh, stream of people chatting. Yes. And then we'll also switch to game mode when he's playing. Mm-hmm. That's the whole movie. And this one guy keeps the whole thing rolling. Wow. And uh, horrible shit starts happening. Like I mentioned to you last week, it starts up, I'm going, ah, crap. I know about this film. And by the end, I'm going, oh, man, all the judges, I hope, like this anywhere near as much Ooh. as I do. And and I uh, started to see some of the other pod, or, uh, horror festivals that I work with. A few of the people who run them were popping up going, we need to give Live Scream a push. This is a movie that deserves to be out there more and stuff. So I was like, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, and that's a feature, right? Yeah. yeah. It's oh, a short cool. feature. It's about... It's like 70 minutes long. It okay. just pushes it. But, Perfect. Which is, yeah. Yeah, does Take that, as long um, as you need to, man. Don't do 90 minutes just to do 90 minutes. <laughs> and is that, like, does it try to look like it's also, like, a one-piece thing, or does it take place across I, I do want to know the making, the, 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 yeah, there's, well, there's the, there's the cuts to the game. Oh, The okay. game falls, yeah. full screen. Gotcha. But, yeah, it's largely f- just a guy sitting in front of the wow. camera. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> I mean, our reality is shifting so quickly. And the yeah. way that um, like teenagers are growing up, just completely immersed in online video content, is changing the way that we're looking at all kinds of movies, like yeah. Searching, which I saw. Oh, man, that was good. That was an incredible film. Yes. <laughs> like, it had you know a few hokey things here and there. But for the most part, that was so solid and yeah. just completely engaging. And you're just watching some guy on the internet. Huh. You know, yeah. Right. I remember you telling plays. me about that? That's John Cho, right? Yeah, John yeah. Cho. Yeah, I just saw that one in the theater. Amazing, but the yeah, the whole thing worked really well. There's the one part where he kind of pushes it, where he's setting up the cameras around. And, oh yeah. You know, it's a, I won't say what it is because it's a big moment story wise. But yeah. I'm like, okay, you're you're pushing your. I have to always be on a screen mm-hmm. just a little bit here. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it works really. Really well. I, I was very, very surprised. And listening to um, a behind the scenes after watching it, it it was fascinating to me because the way that the guys made it before they had, um, I think it's Julianne Moore and John Cho. Am I crazy? That sounds right, but I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, it's got some some heavy hit, hit, eh, heavy hitters in there. Mm. They actually filmed and created the entire thing just on their own. So they had all the shots. They knew exactly what they were doing. They could show it to financiers and they wow. could say, and they just put themselves in there reading lines, but they should like, they um, con- constructed all of the movement of the mice and the folders and oh, everything ahead of time. So they were right at rock and roll. Wow. I think there were some guys from Google is where they came out of. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. wow. Yeah. It's oh. quite a step up from the, uh, what is it? Blair Witch. <laughs> well, no, I was going to go with the other kind of movie ones, like the uh, Unfriended. I think it's called. Oh gosh, yeah. Some of those. I like that first Unfriended. But I mean, yeah, as far as te- right. technically the way it was shot and the way it's done is quite right. a step up yeah. from right. what those films. It's were definitely doing. a lot more engaging. It's not mm-hmm. based off of um, just jump scares, which is hard to do. It's really hard yeah. to do on um, kind of like a live on a screen. <laughs> exactly. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, we always see this happen with any new technology. Horror jumps on it yeah. and makes yeah. some kind of film, and then. You know, you look back and you get the lawnmower man. Oh my god! Or something like that. <laughs> the net. And you're just like, yeah, the net. The net. Um, <laughs> and, pizzas online. And you're like, wow. Either or it's you know it's set in tomorrow or something right. like that, and you're like, we were way off in thinking what was going to happen. Oh jeez. You know, even ten years. Seventies sci-fi movies are so good for that. Right. Oh, yeah. That's like the best era for weird ass future that. Like everyone's, Most hasn't happened. Some has. Right. Everyone's just going to wear like satin 90s yes. in the future. <laughs> I know. Where's my no s- one's cold ever in the future. That's what I'm getting. <laughs> Where's my shiny silver jumpsuit? Damn, yeah, no it. kidding. <laughs> um, 
Oh, well, also, though, Colossus, the Forbin Project, that movie is going to happen for sure. That's the one where the U.S. creates a supercomputer that's going to warn oh, it of everything. Yeah. But then oh. it, it comes online and finds out that Russia has already created a supercomputer to do the same thing. Oh. Then they start talking and going, well, the best way to save humanity, of course, is to destroy it. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, it's, it's great because um, War Games, which I'm mm-hmm. guessing is so, a big yeah. influencer off of that, um, <laughs> is one of my few connections to where I currently live, which is out on a little island called Anderson Island. <laughs> and the only interesting fact about it is that it's a Goose Island in War Games, which is where the oh. technician oh, who built the game is living off on his own. So. You, oh, that's um, cool. You kind of went above and beyond to join us here because we record this in the uh, <laughs> the Strange Eon Studios. Um, <laughs> that's right. But, but we try to keep the guests actual people who can come in and i didn't realize you lived on an island did you have to take a ferry and then drive all the way up here absolutely but that's my life so it's actually totally fine i I try to no offense i try to pack in multiple things in one day good idea so i've got a few more things after after this to make it okay i was gonna say jesus we better make this one last and make (laughs) sure drive was longer than the episode (laughs) oh no 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 it's it's awesome trust me i get to talk to real human beings and not just Mm. like deer and raccoons this is great oh yeah yeah yeah, that's a that's a good point editing can get uh well like writing can you know get very very solitary at times i have i have developed a very bad habit because uh well i'm a writer and i can't write here because my attention span is like oh i'll i will do anything to get out of writing so i'll check my email a hundred times a day (laughs) and and, uh you know if i have internet available to me so now what i do is i go to this little restaurant down the street and i write there restaurant uh the vintage well i sit at the bar yes okay And uh, it's loud and noisy, and I get a shit ton done. Oh, but it also costs me thirty dollars because I'm drinking and I'm eating, and <laughs> it's like, geez, this script is the most expensive thing we've ever done, and we haven't started making it yet. That's awesome. I mean, I've, I've actually been thinking about that too because, um, like you, working out of out of my home, especially when it comes down to sitting down and writing, I put off the script that I just finished for like two years. Yeah, like I knew ex- by the time I actually got it done, I knew everything that was going to happen in it because I'd just been putting it off and putting it off it's it's the worst and sometimes you do need to find these ways to force yourself into writing yeah I've I've got some really bad habits that I've developed over the years um can (laughs) you (laughs) yes can you tell us a little bit about prospect Oh my goodness. Yeah. So um, Prospect is a feature film that came out, um, I think it's now, as in the last couple weeks, come out on DVD. Yep. And um, Blu ray. And Blu ray. <laughs> it's got a VOD release. Um, and it's a science fiction kind of run and gun, bootstrapped movie that was made here in Washington by some really talented guys, um, Zeke and uh, Chris. Uh, who are just way too young to be as good as they are. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it's this little sci-fi picture that um, has done surprisingly well. It's um, got a, a lot of kind of feel like serenity to it, where um, it's kind of got some made-up uh, swear words, right. and it's these guys trying to do this prospect out on this planet, um, a father and his daughter, trying to to get a big score so that they can get themselves out of poverty, extreme poverty into slightly less extreme poverty. So they're walking around on, you know, this planet with like um, duct tape wrapped around them to, to 
prevent poisonous air from coming into their suits and, you know, things are just breaking all the time. And then there are some less friendly people on the planet they have to encounter. Um, but I was lucky enough to be on the post-production team for that particular piece. So it was, it was a crazy, crazy film where I was asked to come on for three weeks and I was there for six months. Wow, oh, man. Yeah, I think it was six months. Um, yeah, it was, it was a big chunk of time. I kept, a, I was crashing on my brother's couch to partake in this feature film. I was so excited. And I was like, no, I'm only going to be here a little bit. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, they're telling me one more week. One more week. And I could just see in his wife's eyes. the right. like Enough of you. Yeah, like how much longer. <laughs> so you were working on post you did? I was, I was only on, on post. I oh, was wow. not on set. That's, yeah. that's it. That's a- well, you know, it was, it's funny because it, um, it was their first feature film. Yeah. Um, and they did actually get some uh, money from Braun Studios to get it made up in Canada. And... I think when they shot it, um, they were blessed and cursed with having these giant helmets oh, on yeah. all the actors. So that allowed them in post-production to rewrite a lot um, of their script and just get oh, people to record nice. in post. So we kept changing and changing and changing the script as to what was happening. In fact, there's quite a few cool. scenes that never made it into that movie. That's it's cool. really great looking. I was going to ask you, you answered it, uh, because as a wandering through the forest, I was like, this has to have been shot right here. Oh, I mean, yeah. it, but uh, it looks amazing and it is, uh, it's been very well received. I listened to a podcast called We'll See You in Hell and on the page for that, uh, people were talking about movies they've seen at film festivals or stuff that we should be watching out for. And that has popped up more than once. And I was just like, hey, I don't know someone who worked on that. How cool. <laughs> It was, you know, it's, I think it's kind of surprised us all to a certain extent how well it's done. Um, it premiered at South by Southwest and started getting a lot of attention. They, they didn't really intend on doing a festival circuit. They just wanted to launch and then great, get straight into their distribution deals. But they got just so much positive press where it was like, hey, guys, remember Star Wars? Remember how <laughs> they just had these pieces that were put together and they're running around down these hallways? And it's not necessarily the biggest budget film that first one um and and it gave people a lot of that that kind of feel of hey science fiction doesn't need to be just enormous spectacle and remember those days when we used to build our props and build our costumes and and shoot on actual locations and so that um kind of realness to it i think has uh sparked um interest for a lot of people as opposed to the entire green screen phantom menace or something like that right right yeah and in fact um the only cgi that was done was um done by my dear friend ian hubert who also is an annoyingly young talented (laughs) human being who he did everything i mean if you ask him to build a robot city he'll do it overnight it's no problem and it'll look perfect. Um, he's he's crazy, but he he managed to do the the pink dust throughout the film. That was the biggest challenge for them. Um, there's a kind of toxic uh, mm-hmm. toxic planet and you can tell it's toxic because despite looking like the Ho rainforest in Washington, um, there is pink little bits flying all through the air um, and that took them probably the longest. Yeah, that looks great. I yeah. was gonna ask about that. That looks very cool. It's kind of like nice. it is it's like giant dust motes but they yeah. they rise and fall and everything it's not like a 
plug-in overlaid? Absolutely not. It's um, actual dust that was colored pink. So um, it was out of Zeke's basement. Um, he had a very dusty place, so they just kind of lit it wow. and recorded dust for like hours. <laughs> and then um, Ian took it uh, along with like a small team that he was managing. And that was, that was the hardest part. I mean, the, the, the planets that you see off in the distance, um, different um, <laughs> effects with the, the ship um, orbiting them, everything like that was simple. The dust was definitely the hardest thing <laughs> to achieve in that entire film. That's very cool. Uh, so then when you look on your IMDb page, uh, oh God! <laughs> well, I'm the thirteenth. I was by gonna the way. do, yeah. I was gonna do some research, and then I was like, "That's not her. That's not her." Well, that's definitely not her. Uh, and so, what I had to do then was go to the prospect page, yes. find your name, right? Scroll down. <laughs> and so, thirteenth, and then I remind me, you had made some kind of joke that I thought was very clever when you were talking oh. about this on Facebook. So, um, gosh, uh, well, I, I wanted to get Vanessa Williams uh, 13 as um, <laughs> a, a URL and just like go ahead and just change my name to that <laughs> so people would know and associate me directly with my IMDb link. Fantastic. I, and I, you know, I got my name early-ish. I got it in 2005 and I was still number 13. So. Wow. Yeah, my weird ass last name prevents... That doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> More dirt. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to find a lot of us more grays or however the hell you want to pronounce it. <laughs> Williams is the most annoying last name to have. And and growing up with a famous um, African-American woman's yeah. name what? and having what people say. I don't, I don't know. You've never heard of that, Vanessa. You've never heard right? of the, of the uh, amazing. <laughs> we went through a long thing where uh, last episode where I was telling Eric, these are the jokes I'm going to. And he's just like, she's heard that. Come on, she's heard that one. She's heard that one. I'm like, well, fuck it. I'm not even going to bring it up then. When I was, yeah, when I was three years old, I remember. Um, well, my mom likes to tell me this this really hilarious story how I would go to the doctors and they would yell down the hall, "I've got Vanessa Williams naked in exam room three. Jesus. It's just like, oh, good. Okay. Yes. Excellent. So I've, I've carried this for a long time. In fact, my email address is uh, not that Vanessa Williams at something, something, <laughs> something, something. So um, I just, you know, you just got to run with it. Um, but the, the worst is when people come up to you and say, so are you related to her? <laughs> I cannot get that. I do not understand the connections that are made to have that sentence fall out of your face. Like, how do you? Uh, it's not like it's a like we were just talking about your number thirteen, even just on IMDb. Yeah, that's not exactly a rare name, right? <laughs> not only like, that, but the the way you get to that question is going to Eric and saying, "Hey, I know another Eric Margaret. Are you related to him? Exactly. Does your family <laughs> right. just name everybody Eric? The same. Right. <laughs> There's no." Th- juniors or thirds it's just the same right <laughs> right like unless you're like cousins and like competing parents that just really <laughs> wanted eric That's right. it just it doesn't make any kind of sense well, we spelled ours with a k so mm. fuck you anyway i bought that issue of playboy and i want you to sign it because i feel like i can justifiably <laughs> say no look it was signed by vanessa williams I, right. I would be my pleasure i i do feel that i mean i, I actually get emails still for the the real Vanessa Williams, Vanessa Williams Prime. Even at your email at, address that says yes, not that Vanessa Williams. At my email address that says not that Vanessa Williams, 
on my website where there is a picture of me next to the contact info <laughs> and it talks about my editing and my writing work. It is so clearly not uh, that <laughs> particular Vanessa Williams. And yet um, I've had helicopter ride offers. Um, I've, I've had requests to review other people's work. Um, wow. Reminds me of a thing that, except you'd actually be using your real name. This was ever worked like, um, Okay, probably not a lot of sports fans listening to this, but when Michael Bennett first came to Seahawks as a player, he'd call up local restaurants and go, hi, this is Russell Wilson. Can I get a table? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so he'd show up and they'd be, whoa, you ever pull, get that pulled off? You know, call up someplace, hi, I need a table for Vanessa Williams. I have not. <laughs> I, I think if I lived in LA, it'd be a different story. <laughs> um, but actually, a great moment on Prospect was I showed up for my interview and the, the lead editor on that was named Paul Frank. And so we had okay. this moment where we looked at each other and we recognized two editors with famous names making our way through the industry off the backs of other people. It was it was pretty great. And, and actually, there's advice out there where they say, you know, you should really change your name if if you've got a famous person's name and in the biz. And I I just completely reject that idea. Yeah. Fuck yeah. those people. Yeah, eventually, eventually, I'll be the only one. Maybe. Mm. I mean, with a SAG card, according to plan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> with a SAG card, you'd run into problems, but otherwise, what the hell? No problem. Man. Right. I'm not exactly. I'm not joining SAG. Are you kidding? <laughs> Can't act. <laughs> okay. Well, to wind up the interview part, I have a couple of questions that I'm sure. going to do as we do this with more guest uh, hosts. I'm going to be. Uh, bringing in questions, and so these are kind of weird and specific. No wrong answers. Eric oh my knows gosh. how this works. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite movie with Jeff Goldblum in it? Oh my god, that is such a hard question. Um, I mean, like I love his performance in The Fly, but yeah. he's so unsexy. Um, well, he wanders around in a leather jacket with no shirt. That is sexy. Until he becomes a bug. Until well, he becomes okay, Brundlefly. Fine. Here's how Brundlefly yeah. eats. That's not sexy. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and obviously Jurassic Park. I think Jurassic Park, because that was when I learned of Jeff Goldblum as a kid and really like started falling for the uh, the presence, the wonder, <laughs> the amazement that is Jeff Goldblum. Oh, wow. Uh no, I'm sorry. That is wrong. That's the wrong answer. <laughs> yeah, it's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Okay, all right, that's fair. That's okay. I'm, that's I'm, okay. I mean, There's a couple more. You got to take. Okay, all right. <laughs> I, I haven't completely lost out yet. You're not gonna. You're not gonna throw me out the door. What is your favorite song from your childhood? Um. Wow. Uh. Well, I was obsessed with um the Bodyguard as a kid. That was like my favorite movie. <laughs> Not one I would have predicted. Yeah, clearly this no. has brought you to where you are now, working in the horror industry. Hundred percent. You know, um, <laughs> Kevin Costner carrying Whitney Houston around was just really pivotal for me. So Whitney Houston's "I Will Always Love You" was a big deal for oh. me as a kid. I, I broke that cassette. I listened to it so much, <laughs> and I had to get another one for Easter. Wow. Yep. A judges. Uh, yeah, they say you're right. That was oh, your favorite. Excellent. Song oh my gosh, I'm so glad. Good job. I, I'm so glad. I'm relieved I got that one right. <laughs> Finally, we talked a little bit about uh, Stephen King. Do you have a favorite Stephen King novel? Unfortunately, I haven't read a ton of Stephen King, so I have to say The Shining because that is one of like the two <laughs> books choice. I read. 
you're right. That is your yes. favorite. That is I'm his so best book. That's my favorite novel of all time. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad so, I got that right. I also hate the Kubrick movie. But <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, that's fair. Well, hold on. You know. You got to rearrange the way you say uh, that. You hate it as an interpretation of his an adaptation novel or of adaptation the, of the book. I do not like right. it. I do think it is a very good scary movie. If it was okay. The Shinning, right. Then it'd be right. 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 <laughs> Oh, thank you. Bart would be the Simpsons, it, you know. exactly. <laughs> yeah, which is not to say that the Mick Garris TV version is better. That is a better adaptation, but a, a but poor, a worse film. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I'm lucky enough to have. I don't know if that's the right word, but to have seen the movie first and then read the book. So uh-huh. in that direction, um, the book was refreshing and different and interesting and fascinating in a way that I could kind of separate those two pieces a, a little bit more easier. Like I wasn't expecting the movie to right. do something. I can oh, see why cool. King hates it because yeah. all of the stuff that was important to him, mm-hmm. the alcoholic father, mm-hmm. the injuring a son, yeah. all of that stuff right. was you know very secondary for Kubrick. That was not yeah. the story he wanted to tell at all. No, he wasn't quite so into daddy issues. Right. <laughs> so so when, when you've laid your Perfect. heart out on the page and said, man, this is my story, yeah. and then the entire world embraces it and then it gets turned into a film where the guy goes, yeah, but that part's not that interesting to me. I can see why the writer would be like, oh, fuck. Absolutely. And it's so hard too because like it's such a different, it's almost a different genre of horror between the two um, because you've got this, in the movie you've got a deep, unsettling horror that's not so direct, I yeah. feel. Yeah. In the book it feels a little bit different. I, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. That's a good point. Have you ever read The yeah. Shining, Eric? Oh, yeah. Okay. I did, And I did read it before I saw the film, but I haven't read it since. So I've seen the film subsequently a few times, but mm-hmm. I haven't gone back to the book again. Right. Um, so I remember having problems with the beginning, especially when, um, oh, God, what's his name gets taken out at the end? Scatman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. It's so different. Uh, but um, I almost feel like that must have been studio. Like decisions? Yeah, because yeah. nobody dies in the film. Right. The book? Uh, the book. Uh, no, well, in the book. Uh, but I mean, up to this point in right. the film, right. nobody dies. It's full of ghosts, but right. it's, like, it's a horror film where nobody is dying. Yeah. And I feel like they said, you got to kill somebody in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And there's only four characters. Yeah. Right. So. <laughs> and it's got to be the savior who, you know, mm-hmm. jumps in. He, I mean, it was so completely frustrating to watch him get there and basically do nothing <laughs> yep. and it's die. Done. It's a bad story decision it's a completely yeah. horrible story decision and yeah. it's such a great character too so it's well scatman crothers you could listen yeah. to him read the phone book oh and you'd just gosh. be like okay yeah oh i know vanessa williams which vanessa williams <laughs> 13 <laughs> all right well uh let's take a little break and we will uh, freshen our drinks and do all of that stuff and we will come right back we are discussing disaster movies this time spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. 
go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Father, I think they intend to ram. We're going for the bridge. I thought we were too far inside to take a laser hit. We are. That was something else. Put that war tide in over there. Come on, keep it moving. Look out. It's ready to blow. But they could still be alive. You can't just leave them there. The Galactica is doomed. Don't get careless. You lose your grip just once and you'll be floating in space forever. Yeah, thanks for reminding us, Sheba. We'd have to operate because there's a fragment lodged near the wall of his heart. But then operate. There is no way that I'm going to open up his or anyone else's chest under these conditions. Okay, we're back. Um... Vanessa, you chose disaster movies as our topic. I did. And whoever chooses the topic has to go first. Oh, okay. (laughs) What do you want me to do? I want you to talk about the film you chose. Oh, all right then. Um, Fine. Uh, The movie that I chose was The Towering Inferno. Steve McQueen and Paul Newman race against time. As one tiny spark becomes a night of blazing suspense. The towering inferno. It's out of control. It's coming your way. Step by step. Floor by floor. This is a race against time to save hundreds of people trapped in a night of blazing suspense as the world's tallest building becomes the towering inferno. Towering Inferno. Which stars far too many famous people. It's got um, Steve McQueen and Paul Newman like fighting for lead. As in like literally fighting. Like they had to have the exact same number of lines apparently. Yeah, which is tough when one of the characters comes in halfway through the film by the way. And the other, so all of a sudden the other guy just kind of disappears at least verbally for a long time. You see him running around a lot, but you don't see him saying stuff. Right. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's an amazing film. I think it was a 74. It was 74. Awesome. Uh, it's a movie that's definitely a giant um, warning about fire safety. It starts dedicating itself to um, the fire department and it ends dedicating itself to the fire department. Is that, um, do you think that's gimmicky though? I mean, it's, we're talking Erwin Allen. Do you think I he know. really wanted to <laughs> dedicate to this fire department? Or I like, think it was. Lend an air of gravitas. Oh to my this gosh. Film? It was, it was totally drama. There was like Oscar all over. I mean, why have Fred Astaire as like this <laughs> yeah. kind of like homely sort of guy who's trying to um, get scam money out of little ladies. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's too weird. It's too weird. Um, but I, I mean, for a disaster movie, it's pretty incredible. It's the the stakes are super high. Um, you're constantly stressed out through the entire thing. You really care about all the characters, which is great. It's something I love about disaster movies. You often give these yeah. great moments to even the smallest character. Um, and uh, you get to watch an enormous building burn <laughs> how great is that and i love how it starts too like i mean it these things always start with just the smallest oh, most it. random thing and it was like a little oh the electrical system's bad in this building and of course there's just a <laughs> a table full of rags filled with turpentine or something and it just sparks straight on there you and thus we start a fire Oh yeah, and there's other moments like they get up to the emergency door on the very, very top floor and um, somebody has spilled wet cement that has completely blocked it. <laughs> I mean, how convenient is that accident? I mean, there's poor workmanship through this whole damn thing, which just makes me worried about buildings in general. But What do you think it's breakdown to? Because, you know, obviously it's not CGI. Right. <laughs> it's breakdown to burning miniatures versus a... Larger burning, burning building or set. Do you think um, they used a lot of set or? I think that there is a, f I would, I would guess there's a fair amount of set, but I did read on the like IMDB trivia mm -hmm. that um, one day they actually did cause a fire. And um, I think it was, uh, I don't know if, I think it was Steve McQueen was actually like running around with a fire hose, helping them put it out <laughs> for real oh, because like they had to like take care of it in that moment. So there was definitely real fire going on in there, but um, I don't know. It felt so real. I don't know. I don't know how they faked That's it. That's actually a great answer to that. It's like, you know what? I actually don't know because it was so well done. It is. I mean, they burn really cool. like they're, they will murder characters very effectively <laughs> and horrifyingly. And like you watch like a couple of people burn to death in the worst way. And you're like, how did, I mean, is that man is on fire? Like I am watching <laughs> his body fall apart. The shadowed pieces of him that, how is this happening in 1974? Nice. That's very cool. <laughs> yeah. It was, it's a, it's a great pick. I mean, it's, it's definitely up there as far as like disaster films. Oh, yeah. You can't super go wrong with this particular one. <laughs> I think it's, it's probably the last of the good ones. Right. Yeah. Uh, there was, you know, it was a string of Irwin Allen stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think the one after this, and I don't even think Irwin Allen had anything to do with it, was Meteor. Oh, oh man. I don't think he did. And that's See, a shit <clears throat> movie too. Oh, for, oh. for people that aren't quite aware of what was going on in the seventies with disaster movies, it's sort of the Marvel movie of that time. Right. Where here's our big budget spectacular film that you're going to want to, everyone's going to want to see and look at all how many great stars are filling the screen and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, it never made the kind of movie money that Marvel movies make. Right. But for the time, those were what became tentpole films. Yeah, it really feels like there's eras of disaster mm -hmm. movies because in the 50s, there's like this little mini sci-fi segue to disaster where you've yeah. got like literal planets, like when worlds collide, it's yeah. in the title. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and, you know, to a, to a lesser extent, something like Day the Earth Stood Still, but Godzilla's 54. Um, uh, and then you all of a sudden jump into the 70s and then the 90s are a light with these these movies as well. Yeah. I think every once in a while we just want to be think about our own humanity. <laughs> 
wow, and quiver. I think, I think you're giving the writers too much credit. Um, <laughs> knowing what we know now, how difficult is it to watch O.J. Simpson in this film? You know, I um, like this is because I've known O.J. Um, his <laughs> dirty little secrets <laughs> for a long time. I had actually the the weirdest moment was seeing him in something like he was in Airplane, right? Or uh, uh, Naked Gun, Naked Gun, yeah. which I, I can't watch the, now. Yeah, Naked Gun is definitely the hardest because watching him in like a kind of comedy role was tough. In this, yeah. he he really. He's a almost a, such a bit player that it seems okay. Yeah, he he rescues a kitty cat. Yeah, it's such a weird. Oh, thing. so he's still trying to be the the likable. Unfortunately, he's, he's likable, but he's like I mean he's kind of in charge of being like security. He's I think he's on the security team for the building. And in the beginning, he's like, look, there's some weird stuff going on. Then you don't see him forever. Right. And then at the end. Uh, he gives the consolation prize to Fred Astaire, which is a kitty cat. So <laughs> it is such a weird thing. These movies, well, like like this one with Steve McQueen, mm-hmm. O.J. Simpson. We're also going to throw in a football player, uh, so Fred Astaire. Weird. You know, they did that with the airport movies. You yeah. know, Dean Martin just happens to be the pilot of this film. <laughs> right? And it's like, wow, what is going on with these I things? Mean, but everybody it was, in this was famous. Everybody. I think it was. Everybody was uh, on, who, was this Warner Brothers? Yeah. Warner would have their stable mm-hmm. and they they just have these people that they were like contracted. <gasps> we're going to put you in a movie. Yeah. And, you know, if you're McQueen, you can say yay or nay. If you're uh, OJ... You're on your, it. This you're is your this movie. movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and the kid is uh, Bobby Brady. He is? is yeah. That is? Yeah. Oh, it's geez. Bobby Brady post-Brady Bunch. So let's see. Well, how old is Post he then? 15-ish then? Um, he looks younger. I mean, he looks like he's freaking 10. But he's wow. he's probably <laughs> a little a little oh. bit older than that. <laughs> I mean, the way the dialogue they give him, the way they kind of use him physically, where he's like doing kind of monkey bar stuff. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Well, so then um, it sounds to me like this is a pretty positive pick for you. You'd, you'd recommend this. I film. would totally. Oh, absolutely. I would definitely recommend this. I mean, if you're going to watch any disaster film, it's got to be in your top five to make sure that you take it off your list oh, yeah. so that you you know the history and like things like knowing that Die Hard comes after this. And what was the horrible rock movie? Skyscraper. Skyscraper comes after this. I mean, you want to know where that <laughs> stuff comes from. Uh, obviously, Die Hard's an amazing movie all in its well, own. Yeah. It, it, I'm just premise-wise. Um, there's it, It's really fun. It's really intense. It's well-written. Um, it, <laughs> there's just so many good moments in it that it, there's no there's no time in which you're really sat around being like, I don't know. Okay, hurry What's up the runtime on that one? Um, it's long. Yeah, they, it's it's a pretty long movie. It, it was 165 minutes. Oh wow! Jeez. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's really long. It's a long for time. 74 man. Wow. Be stressed out. I actually put this on um, while my mom was in the room, and she wasn't really intending on watching it, but she just sat there, and the whole time she's like, "I'm gonna pee my pants." <laughs> she's like, "This is so stressful." I was like, "I know," but you're still sat here, and she's like, "I know." <laughs> I can't leave. <laughs> so if you want to be held captive. Nice. Uh, That's a good way to it's, do it. It's definitely, it's it's a good pick. I, I was glad that I rewatched it. Yeah. 
They're making me want to watch it again. Yeah. You should. I, I knew that. Um, well, I'll go next if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. I knew that uh, when you chose this, I was like, it's between two for me. Yeah. It's between the Towering Inferno or the Poseidon Adventure. Yes. What is it, look at? I never saw anything like it. An enormous wall of water coming towards us. In the early morning hours of New Year's Eve, Gene Hackman, Ernest Borgnine, Red Buttons, Carol Lindley, Roddy McDowell, Stella Stevens, Shelley Winters, Jack Albertson, Pamela Sue Martin, Arthur O'Connell, Eric Shea, and Leslie Nielsen were aboard the SS Poseidon when it was hit by a 90-foot tidal wave. Fine talents of 15 Academy Award winners bring you Irwin Allen's production of The Poseidon Adventure, a Ronald Neen film coming from 20th Century Fox. And it's funny because I almost <laughs> did Poseidon Adventure as well, but really it was between the Towering Inferno and um, Atomic Train. So we'll have oh, to talk wow. about Atomic Train later because yes. I'm not sure if I'm familiar with this movie. We'll, we'll come back to that. Okay. But Poseidon Adventure is really interesting because it actually shares a lot of the bit cast. Not only that, well, let's talk about it. Uh, the Poseidon Adventure was 1972. It had a budget of $4.7 million, and in 1972 made $93.3 million Holy in the shit. theater. This was oh gigantic. This was nominated for uh, five Oscars. And one for the best song, The Morning After. There's got oh, yes. to be a morning oh, after. Oh, my god! Credited in the film as, not The Morning After, the song from Poseidon Adventure. Oh, my gosh. That's the title <laughs> of the song. so good. <laughs> that could have worked in Titanic, too. <laughs> the song from Titanic. <laughs> it had a uh, Rotten Tomatoes of 75% critic and 78% audience. So mm-hmm. everybody's kind of on the same, pretty standard, yeah. same thing there. I want to read to you guys the this I got from IMDb. This is the description that IMDb gives for this movie. Okay. Okay. The Poseidon Adventure now. <laughs> Nine people explore a cruise ship at sea in a manner that turns their whole lives upside down. Oh, oh. God. That's <laughs> What? That is the weirdest way to describe that I film. I was like, this has got to be a joke, right? They're like, ex- <laughs> it, it sounds like they're like, on like a little adventure. Yes, it sounds like a vacation movie. Um, it was directed by Ronald Neem, who would go on to direct Meteor, the shitty movie we were just talking <laughs> oh, wow. about. But it was written by Sterling Silphant, who would go on to write The Towering Inferno. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He also wrote uh, Village of the Damned, the original. Oh, and then I nice. found through my research that he is credited as the screenwriter on Carpenter's Village of the Damned. Really? So I think they just used his same script, which is probably interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's based on the book by Paul Gallico. Uh, Sterling Adventure as a book first. Yeah, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't know that. And and then Sterling or uh, Paul also wrote uh, Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, okay. which the movie was based on, which sucked. The I, sequel to this is awful. Yeah, I did not. So listen to this cast, you guys: <laughs> Gene Hackman, yes, Ernest Borgnine, Red Buttons, Carol Lindley, Roddy McDowell, Stella Stevens, Shelley Winters, and Pamela Sue Martin are the people who are, after a rogue wave hits the Poseidon, this giant cruise ship, and flips it upside down, they have to make their way to the bottom of the boat, which is up top, to try and get to the surface. 
I love this movie because of Gene Hackman, yeah. who overacts the hell out of being a, <laughs> a uh, kind of angry preacher. An angry priest, yeah. But, well, not even so much an angry priest. He definitely believes in God, right. but he's he believes in a God who wants you to help yourself. Yes. And yeah. so his whole morning sermon nice. is all about um, God wants winners. <laughs> uh, God doesn't have time for your problems, so don't pray for God to help you. Help yourself so that God notices you and says, I need this guy on my team. And it's stuff like that. I was like, I, I think I'd go to this church. Right. <laughs> Can you imagine uh, a priest saying that at anything now? God likes winners. <laughs> I wish. I, I mean, it would be. I get like these phone calls from my family saying, Oh, I've got a big test today. Pre- please pray for me. I'm like, No. Right. You study for that test. <laughs> right. God's got more important things to do, lady. Right. I mean, the Super Bowl is coming up here. He's right. he's totally booked. You know how many people pray for that? Because every prayer is one vote. That's how you know who wins. So uh, Red Buttons and Carol Lindley play these characters that are are going to fall in love through the course of this uh, this tragedy. And I thought it was really interesting because Red Buttons, his character was originally going to be uh, Gene Wilder, and Gene Wilder oh, had wow. to step away. Wow. So Red Buttons filled that part. That would be so at, different. Yeah, at the very end. And Red Buttons and Carol Lindley hated each other on the set, and they have to play this this couple that is slowly falling in love. <laughs> they hated each other publicly, and when it was brought up in some kind of thing like 20 years later... They were on some kind of panel, and somebody said, "I heard that you guys hated each other," and they started talking about it, you know, publicly, and they became like best friends oh after that. And they would hung, hang out and do stuff together. That's they were amazing. just like, yeah, they were like, "What were we thinking? Why did we hate each other?" So I thought that was really interesting. Wow, Shelley Winters. I don't know if you guys remember how beautiful Shelley Winters was in the '60s, and she she plays a very heavy woman in this. She had to gain 35 pounds oh, wow. to play the part that. because she is a Olympic swimmer who right. has gained a bunch of weight and all this stuff. So she trained with an Olympic swimmer to learn how to swim, gained the 35 pounds, and then complained because she could never take the 35 pounds off afterwards. Oh. And I mean, yeah, she was a middle aged woman. It's like. You don't see actors really doing this kind of stuff anymore. Right. Oh, there's one. Well, De Niro will... Yeah, but that guy can can gain uh, and lose weight at the drop of a hat. Yeah, the, dark, the guy, Dark Knight, Batman. Um, uh, Christian oh, Bale. Christian Bale, Bale yeah. yeah Batman is going to die of a heart attack. Oh, yeah. man. From the machinist to... Uh, to Vice. To Vice. It's like, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, Shelley Winters is interesting because I didn't even realize. Um, I rewatched it just so I could have something to say to you. Oh. You know, oh. be, be <laughs> nice. I needed something, something to, I, to say to I you. Need to actually, be able to talk about this movie coherently. Oh, so I didn't want to have any kind of personal interaction with you. No, not really. But here I am. Um, <laughs> but Shelley Winters, I mean, she like she killed it. I didn't even yeah. put together that that was her. Yeah, everybody kind of killed it. This yeah. was a movie that I remember being kind of silly, and then I watched it probably like you did with The Towering Inferno, and I was like, this is really fucking good. Yeah. Yeah, just a spectacular film, and just watching people, it's like every decision could kill you. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. And this faith of something bringing you through. Well, also interesting, you know, Shelley Winters then gained the 35 pounds. And it, this is all just because these were the characters in the book and right. they were going to do a solid adaptation of the book. So Roddy McDowell speaks with an Irish accent through the entire film. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, that's because that's who he was in the book. And I'm thinking, this, and. It's Ronnie McDowell. He fucking brings it. And he, he sounds great. Everybody, I thought, was fantastic. One last bit of trivia. Gene Hackman was the third choice. The original choice was Burt Lancaster, who felt mm-hmm. like uh, he could not do it justice. Hmm. Um, and then George C. Scott was approached afterwards, oh, and he didn't feel like it was a strong enough role for him. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's like the porridge, like, oh, it's too good. Oh, it's too crappy. It's just right. <laughs> Bring in the hackman. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, of course, uh, my favorite scene. Look, uh, we're going to talk spoilers a little bit on this because it's a 45 year old movie. Um, <laughs> Don't ruin it. Gene Hackman uh, kind of sacrifices himself at the end, but not before a impassioned plea to God. How many more lives? (laughs) What do I have to do? What? I did start just cracking up when that scene hit. A little little too much. Yeah, and then he throws himself at this uh, superheated, gigantic uh, wheel that he has to spin while it's searing the flesh off his limbs and everyone's just kind of, they were all kind of watching him a little bored. Yeah. (laughs) The, the reactions, I mean, I didn't realize he was about to, like, give himself over to the Lord while he was doing it because everybody was just hanging out. Yeah. That, that one guy is, like, still mourning uh, the Ernest tragedy Borgnine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that he encountered. And, and you know, even then, he's like, you got to take care of them for me. The dude's not even listening. No, no. He was out gotcha. of it. Well, you know, we all remember and love Ernest Borgnine from uh, Escape from New York, but the reason is because of movies like this. Right. The, is yeah. the reason he was so good in that and why everybody loved him was because he's so good in everything. Right. And yep. and so you see these gigantic roles he had, and then you put him as cabbie, and you're like, oh, fuck, yeah. There's Fortnite. <laughs> Gravitas. Yeah. Instantly. Yeah, absolutely. Sort of like a- George C. Scott and the Changeling. It's like, what the hell is this guy doing in a movie right. like this? Or Donald Sutherland and Don't Look Now. Right. Yeah. Oh, so, geez, yeah. Now, I know that's been remade. Has Was the Towering Inferno, did they ever do a, an official remake? No, an official yeah, but, remake of it? No, not that I'm aware of. Because they did do the Poseidon Adventure. Yeah, right? they called it Poseidon. So I haven't watched it. Mm-hmm. it. It, I don't know. I don't think, I don't see now how, watching this, how it could possibly hold it's up. It's not that great. Okay, you've seen it. Yeah. Did they follow the same thing with like a ton of movie stars? I barely remember the film. That's how much of an impact it made. I don't don't think it had huge people in it. It didn't have a rogues gallery of Sam Rockwell kind of things or something like that. It was like, oh, this guy's great. I never see him in anything, you know, but no. This had uh, and really interesting, the the shots of the, the exterior shots of the Poseidon from a distance are a gigantic miniature. So they've got it in their big, huge water tank, and they're making these waves and everything. The Such a great sounding term. <laughs> well, the miniature of the boat is 25 feet long. Oh, my gosh. Holy yeah. <laughs> Where did they keep it? Uh, they kept it in that big, huge tank that they would shoot Jaws in a couple of years later and oh stuff like gosh. that. And they, they made these big, huge waves. Uh, one of the things I found that I thought was terrifying was, so this book was based on a semi-real story of a ship that was capsized out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody could really, no survivors, 
nobody could really figure out what happened. And so scientists got in there and everything, and they, they theorized that a rogue wave hit. <laughs> and they said these waves out in the middle of nowhere probably happen once every five to 10,000 years. Yeah. Well, with satellite imagery and all that stuff, we have found out that, yes, there are these gigantic rogue waves. They hit a dozen times a year. Wow. Which means I will Yay. never, ever go out on the ocean again. No, exactly. Well, I can't believe. I mean, then you hear. Then you into Jaws, too. Right, so, that's know. the other reason. They're all hanging out together. Jaws in the wave, ready in the to go. Wave. The only thing that would have made this better is if when the wave crashes through the ship, all the sharks also ended up in the ship. Nowadays, there's so many horror stories of cruises, of getting, oh, you know, geez, viruses yeah. on board, and then, you know, having disasters. I'm like, did you not watch these movies from the 70s? <laughs> you have been warned. This is your own fault at this point. Eric? I went a very different route. Ooh. Because um, I'm looking at the you know golden age disaster movies. was the 70s, as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, looking at, okay, Towering Inferno? Yeah, that's one or two. Poseidon Adventure? Yeah, that's one or two. No matter what I pick from this era, you know, like Earthquake or one of the airport movies or anything like that, it's largely a step down from either one of these gigantic scale disaster movies. So I went for a really almost quiet disaster film. Late 80s, (laughs) 1988, 89. 89, I think I was living in L.A., so it had to be 89. With uh, Miracle Mile. Love can sure spin your head around. God, where do you begin? Well, hello. We must have been meant to be together. It's too bad you have to work tonight. Only till midnight. Fate is a funny thing. Love can be exciting. Trust me with this. Even terrifying. Julie! I love you! But nothing could prepare you for an experience like this. What is it, Julie? Miracle Mile. Listen, I'm just a guy who can pick up the phone. Uh, which <laughs> the reaction matches the uh, Rotten Tomato scores, which is 89 critics, 72 crowd. Audience. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that's pretty good. The audience didn't like it as much as the critics. It's, it's a little slow, I it's, guess. Yeah, it might yeah. be a little too smart. It's a little artsy. Yeah. And in the way it's the way it unfurl and tells its story is definitely different. Yeah. yeah. It did a uh, 3.7 million budget, did 1.1 in the box office. Oh, okay. so it, Beautiful. Uh, didn't Success. make it. Uh, yeah, didn't Pop make it that. The director and writer was Steve D'Arnett, who wrote Strange Brew. Oh, okay. <laughs> and a director of the fun named but not so great film Cherry Two Thousand. I love Cherry Two Thousand. <laughs> what are you talking about? That movie is amazing. If you didn't, if you didn't enjoy yourself all the way through, <laughs> something's wrong with you. Just gonna let that sit there. Keep going, Eric. <laughs> Starring uh, Anthony Edwards, mm-hmm. which with his full head of hair at the time, almost, almost, yeah. Mary Winningham, Mayor. Is it in Mayor? Mayor from Turner and Hooch fame, and also had a long, long stint on American Horror Story. Uh, Colt Fuller, Denise Crosby. Here's a fun one for me. Robert DeCue. My kettle? I don't Keep know. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, oh, excuse me. That was it's Robert DeCue. And then oh. Mike Kelty Williamson, who was Bubba in Forrest Gump. 
Mm. Oh, okay. Who's been in a shit ton of movies, man. I can wow. almost guarantee that that's not how the name is pronounced. Oh, I can. But um, part of what makes it work really well is it's incredibly well written and it's really smart. So it's a little surprised that the guy has not, the writer-director hasn't gone on to do a lot more things. Well, of course, he lost $2 million on this film, so that's why. don't you why. tell us uh, what this movie is actually about? Because I <coughs> bet you most of the people listening to this even know this. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's unsung. It's the story of uh, Anthony Edwards finds a, a woman at a museum that he's been looking for, looking for that woman to fall in love with. And he finds her at a museum, and uh, they set up a date to meet later that night. And she, after she gets off work at this uh, Pulp Fiction-looking uh, diner, he falls asleep, power goes out, three hours late showing up, so she's gone. And while he's outside trying to figure out what to do, the phone rings. Uh, a payphone, one of those things you don't see anymore. A little phone booth, you, you go to, inside. You used to pay to make calls? <laughs> That's right. With and coins? it sat on the side of a street outside with a little box you stood in. That's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Who stands in a box to make a phone call? <laughs> well, Anthony Edwards. <laughs> so he answers the call, and it's this very upset guy who thinks he's called his dad. And he's explaining that, we've done it. We've done it with the, you've got... 51 minutes or something until the big ones hit. You need to get out of there. Then you hear people breaking in and machine gun fire and it kills this guy. You're like, what the hell's going on? Anthony Edwards goes back into the diner and starts asking if this, this, the dad of this kid is anywhere in there. What's going on? What's happening? And Denise Crosby plays a former... I think her. I think she would have been credited differently if the movie was made now. But she was the girlfriend oh, <laughs> of somebody who worked at some government operation. Although she obviously was a very important person too, because she had the briefcase and she opens it up and she's got all this shit. She's making calls and stuff. That's lazy fucking writing, man. Yeah, <laughs> that, girlfriend. Yeah, it's like, oh, come on. And from there, it basically is him trying to get back to the woman he's you know some movies he's already totally fallen in love with her <laughs> wants to get her and get to safety and because denise crosby has set up a helicopter to go pick them all up at this building and that's the movie is that whole process so you spend i would say all but the last 20 minutes wondering if anything if this disaster is actually real is something really going to happen right. and the the answer is well it's well answered and well handled so it's a really smart film. It moves at a really interesting pace. It's not, it's not deliberately paced. No. <laughs> it moves fairly quickly, and some you know horrible shit happens. Like some cops get sprayed with gasoline and set themselves on fire. So the cops start chasing him, be thinking he's the guy who sprayed the cops down and lit him on fire. It's like all this stuff is going on. Performances are amazing. Yeah, Anthony Edwards is so good in this film, and he has to carry the whole thing. So if you hate Anthony Edwards, just don't bother. <laughs> and uh, it's a dark film, man. It is not. It starts off really light almost. Almost kind of, it's almost still sort of fun and comedy when he's starting to yell in the diner at people. And it starts to get darker and darker and darker. It's like, Jesus Christ. It's a tough one to find. It's like, I read, it was easy to find. It's tough to find a really good copy. I watched it on Amazon Prime mm-hmm. as a rental. And it's. It's not formatted correctly. Oh, so no. So it sits in the middle of the TV. I'm going, oh, this is weird. 
I I'm surprised. I um so I have a Blu-ray copy of it oh, from yeah because um uh, the director had come out here and done a Q and A and a double feature oh. of Miracle Mile and Cherry Two Thousand, which is why for some reason my brain is like super scrambling pieces from that and a short film he did. So they're like all these different movies are kind of scrambling into one for me right now. Um, so it's really exciting to hear the plot again mm-hmm. because I really I can't I remember the moment and I remember the tension and the amazing work that Anthony Edwards did but mm-hmm. I was like wait that's right Dennis Crosby was in that movie yeah. Yeah. I had forgotten <laughs> uh, but there should be a Blu-ray copy of it out there somewhere if nothing else you can borrow mine yeah. <laughs> so but uh, so yeah that's a really different style disaster film we were kind of very intimate as opposed to very expansive like Right. Side adventure and towering for an just giant films. Yeah, so. yeah, it's almost a pre-disaster. Yeah, really. Yep. Yeah, which it's... means you fucked up. The... <laughs> <laughs> Unless you watch the end and find out, is it really a disaster movie or not? <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> well, I mean, that's something, and I haven't like looked up the exact definition of what makes something a disaster movie, other than I assume a disaster at some point. At yes. some point, <laughs> somehow, something big bad happens. Maybe which means that you know what films can be incorporated and what can't. You know, like an indie film where the premise is the end of the world, or you know a. a atomic uh, danger is on its way and people yeah. start looting. Um, what is that? What if it never happens? Is it still a disaster movie? You know, right. Compared exactly. to something like Godzilla is Godzilla is, I mean, that's a monster movie, but is it? <laughs> Cloverfield. <Disasters happen. laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, well, I, when we're talking about other things, I, I, you were saying, you know, that, that those were the only things. And I, I really, once you said that, I started thinking, well, wait a second. We've had a rich history of disaster films, even yeah. recently, uh, because, uh, what's his name? 2012 and... Roland mm-hmm. Emmerich. Emmerich, yeah. That guy's made a living off of disaster movies. Oh, yes. So, he does it so yeah. well. And I and I briefly considered 2012, because that feels yeah. like an Irwin Allen kind of film. You know, it just got a ton of, of huge actors, uh, a lot of, you know, melodramatic bullshit storylines i gotta get my family and all of this yep. stuff and i even briefly considered i don't know what your take on the rock is but this is also the rock podcast yeah. <laughs> i briefly oh. considered san andreas which i think is a oh very gosh. fun movie i love yeah. san andreas i'm like one of the only people i know who enjoyed that movie now you know uh, two you more there's three of us oh so good Oh my gosh, The Rock just saves everybody in that little helicopter. <laughs> He's so amazing. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I, I saw that in the theater and yeah. loved it. Yeah, oh. me too. It was, it was a treasure. It, I mean, considering how many people were hating on it. Is is Paul Giamatti in that one? Does he die early on in that uh, one? I don't remember there's him some, in that. There's but. some movie where he's... It's a disaster film, and there's like a giant fault line, and he gets eaten very early on. <laughs> well, I might have but to watch San Andreas again just to just find to out. See. Yeah. But yeah, watching The Rock, like just versus nature, outdrive an earthquake oh. as it's happening. I oh. love that man. <laughs> He's just an incredible. Well, that's this, your, is, this is the kind of view you get from here. Seagulls. Two seagulls. Standing on top of each other. The seagull is standing on the other seagull because the other seagull is like, no, I'm not moving. (laughs) It's like, well, I got to stand somewhere. Uh, Obviously, there's no other surfaces nearby. (laughs) Well, cool. I I mean, you're 
you brought up the things there are like a couple others you want to just yeah well i mention think real quick um absolutely like i actually spent a little time like dipping back into some of those 90s disaster movies where i don't know what happened to us in the 90s but we just <laughs> became obsessed with watching the planet explode um <laughs> But we had this great slew between Independence Day, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you had Twister, uh, Titanic was 97, uh, Dante's Peak, Deep Impact, Armageddon, and then uh, things like uh, Outbreak, Volcano, Daylight, um, and Ooh, Hard Rain. Yeah. Daylight, that would have been Daylight's a good a, one. That's I, was, a, I looked at yeah. both Daylight and Twister as possibles. I haven't even yeah. seen Daylight. I mean, I've seen almost... As many as I could get my hands on at various points in my <laughs> life, because this, this is my crack. Nice. <laughs> Daylight's fun. Daylight Twister fun. does not hold up. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. I didn't watch it, but I was like, because I hadn't seen Miracle Mile, and it just floored me. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, mm, like China Syndrome, I was also going to see if it oh. held up as a disaster film, right, or if it's yeah. more of a drama. Daylight is fun, and I like that little period where it's like, Oh, volcano movie. Well, let's do one too. Yeah, let's, everybody does one. <laughs> and there's this kind. Let's do well, that, that too. <laughs> right. Meteor right. hurtling towards Earth. Hey, right. deep impact Armageddon. I mean, one is better than the other. I will let you guys decide which is which. Dun, dun, dun. The, the, it was it's actually gotta be, what you want. It's got to be Armageddon. Well, you know, it's crazy. I don't know if it is because I rewatched Deep Impact. I remember hating it when I watched it in 1999 and I just thought Deep Impact was total crap and I rewatched it. I was like, actually, there's some solid stuff in here. Okay. I think I remember feeling exactly the opposite. I think I liked that one better back then because I thought the whole idea of training Drillers to become astronauts instead, instead of, of astronauts, astronauts, to, astronauts drill. to drill was ridiculous. <laughs> but I watched it just recently mm. and I thought, oh, this is stupid fun. Right. Yes. And I like so, a lot of fun. There's even a Criterion collection. That's <laughs> oh, wow. true. Criterion I, disc of that one. Lest we forget. Yeah. But Arm- I, I enjoyed Armageddon. I think Dim, I'd have to watch him again to know for sure. But I seem to remember Deep Impact being a better movie. You know it's what I mean? A movie, too. movie. It's a little lighter. And Armageddon's more like I remember the watching the open of Armageddon where they do the. Here's this guy. Here's how you know his character trait. Here's this guy. It's <laughs> like oh, because it's like twelve of them or so. It's like just stop. <laughs> right. That's that's a Michael Bay film. That's right? what I was gonna yes. say. Is it no. Michael Bay? Because I know that it's stylistically a hundred percent Michael Bay. Yeah, yeah it definitely. But is. there were a couple people who like. I think the isn't the rock not actually Michael Bay, but it's shot like Michael Bay. There's a couple movies well, I think out there. The rock is Michael. The rock is one. Yeah, I think that's his. Yeah, I remember watching rock. some movie and being like, you guys loved this <laughs> everything's a music video everything's orange we're all looking up at everybody right right i i kind of love as you say i did enjoy I mean, the rock a lot it's, it's uh, a great no it's, it's a great film before michael bay I, was mm. before he became the transformers guy who, who couldn't figure out how to shoot an action scene that was fully watchable anymore yeah he couldn't like, actually tell a story in yeah. an action I, I just wonder if that's like the ultimate troll. If he just hates that fran- franchise so much, he just wanted to destroy it and just kept making money. And he's like, fine, I'll do another one. I'll make it worse. That's right. Well, 
Have either of you seen Bumblebee, though? I have. I fucking loved Bumblebee. It was awesome, <laughs> but it's not a Michael was, Bay movie. No, no. Yeah, which is great. But, but somebody said, we're taking this yeah. franchise away from you. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it was so lovingly done. And the if you at all care about Transformers and, like, the early concept, not early concept, the concept of, <laughs> you know, basically toys, trucks turning into um, heroes, that opening sequence really, I think, um, plays tribute to that. Yeah, yeah, right out of the cartoon. Kind yeah. Of, so, hey man, I saw the Transformers animated in the theater. Oh well, the yeah. guy was the oldest. Me and Jamie wow. were there, and I think we we're the oldest people by like right, right. eight years. Orson <laughs> Wells. You didn't eating snag planets. a nephew or something to. No. <laughs> yeah, man. There's at least two of us though, so it didn't feel really, really creepy. It wasn't <laughs> right. Me sitting in an audience alone, right? Ten year olds. <laughs> You know, as far as disaster movies go, I know you didn't love the last Godzilla, but the new Godzilla is looking pretty dang cool, right? I'm so scared. I'm so scared. I can't be. I can't have my heart broken again. Oh. I, so <laughs> the first got the first Godzilla, the most recent reboot of Godzilla in America. Um, the ninth. What, what year are we in? The two thousand. 15, 14, 14, 14 yeah. It's a tough web to work through. I yeah, see. Right yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, um, the the Japanese one that was making fun of politics was really good too. Um, but <laughs> there was this trailer that they had put out um, where this dramatic music is rising, and you see this airplane full of guys like just zooming overhead, and they fall out into the clouds, and then they fall through the clouds, and there's this monster below. And I was like, I'm in. This is good. I mean, I was—I literally cried the first time I saw that trailer. I was so excited. And then I saw the movie, and I was like, so you killed your main character for no reason and left us with crap and we're just <laughs> jumping around the continent like nobody's business it takes like five minutes to get from one coast to the other by the way by a train so that's good to know <laughs> impressive train it, i was so angry um the next one it looks great um i'm i'm hopeful but i'm you know i was just so hurt i can't i i'm not sure i'm ready i i will agree with you to a point uh, uh, what's his name from Breaking Bad? Uh, uh, Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston. His character dying made so little sense. It was yeah. so weird. And in such a weird moment. Had, it would have had so much impact if he and his son had reconciled. Right. And then he died. Right. Then you're like, oh, it's my something. God, this is awful. Yeah. But Passing instead, the baton. Maybe yeah. he had, I've got four days I can work. It could very well <laughs> have been that. He Except almost that I know, died off screen, too. Like, I was like, wait, is he dead? Yeah. He's not back now. Okay, I, I guess he died. I heard him in an interview. Uh, he was on Adam Carolla or something, mm -hmm. and they were talking about it. And he said, that's the most frustrating movie I've been on because I didn't like that my character died this early and all of this <laughs> stuff. And I was like, oh. Because I would have thought the same thing. He had two days to shoot or yeah. something. But right. he was saying, you know, no, well, my character it, should have. That makes it worse. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> that does. was def definitely a purposeful decision. And I don't know why. I but just don't. I loved the way Godzilla looked. Oh, and that yeah. They okay. shot him from a distance yeah. the entire time. And so you. All you the CGI like, is amazing. Yeah. It looked like something. That had some weight. It didn't look like a man in a suit, right? And that's and that's because it's directed by Gareth Edwards. Is that yes, correct? yeah, and he had done um, monsters. Oh, yeah. Monster, thank you. Got me there. Monsters, um, which you know is basically made. I think they said they made it for like 
$3,000 or something. It was like the budget the of film and that gas was in Me- based in Mexico. Yes. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's like retrieving this guy's daughter and bringing her yeah. back. Yeah, um, but he's an incredible um, uh, CGI artist and that's his ballpark. He did a great job with the monsters. I loved the monsters in the movie. I thought um, they were handled super well. They were shot super well. They were the most interesting uh, characters in the entire film. Yeah. Yeah, that was all I right. cared about. I cared about no human being in that movie after True. Brian Cranston died. Yeah. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But I'm super excited for the new one. <laughs> so I'm willing to have my heart broken. That's okay. Great. Maybe I'll let you walk in the theater first. <laughs> you can you can smoke signal. You, you well, didn't join in on the body shaming of Godzilla. <laughs> no. We'll, we'll, Wait, we'll, what? We'll <laughs> schedule our viewing so that you're... And the viewing behind me so oh, that okay. I can then come out and either give you a thumbs up or a no, 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 no. <laughs> I'll just back, back away, back away. I mean, I'm, I'm 100% going to see it and in theaters because that's the only way to watch these movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, the mid-level film is dead, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're, we're either going to watch super low-budget films there's at prospect, film festivals. And there's or <laughs> Marvel. Avengers Star Endgame, Wars. yeah. Yeah, Star Wars. So it's, yeah, and and that is the only way, those are the only kind of movies that are going to sell out to crowds now. Which is so funny because you just think of how long studios fought against the indie, like, movies out there. Mm -hmm. Well, and the crazy thing was that, uh, you know, Fox Searchlight, all these things started out as something else, started out as these mid-level production companies, Mm -hmm. and they were doing well, and then the studios were like, well, let's buy that mid-level production company up and and put out movies like that, and then they were like, oh, well, these movies don't make money, and so they would shut down the production. (laughs) I I have a- Thanks a lot, assholes. I have a very strange, but I think kind of works comparison for that of something I would- through as a employee at Suncoast. So these, for those of you that don't remember in the nineties, late eighties, nineties, early two thousands, there's a video store called Suncoast motion picture company. And it was known because it sold movies as opposed to rented them. And they're based in malls. And at one point, Best Buy bought them at Suncoast really? and had no idea what to do with the company and started putting in all these new policies and all this stuff that just screwed things up and caused Suncoast to lose a lot of money and all kinds of weird problems. So about, I don't even think it was a year later, they sold it. Wow. Because they just didn't know what to do. Hmm. I think that's what, if you get super super studio executive now who went to school at Harvard, Yale, or some stuff like that, that learned about business and doesn't know what jack shit about filmmaking, buys Fox Searchlight, doesn't know what to do with this. I like bright, shiny color. Yeah. <laughs> big budget. I don't know. How do you make a movie with $3 million? Like, yeah. What do you mean we're not going to have you know some famous actor yeah. on this? Who, who are these people? Why are they here? Why are they eating our food? You know, shoot them away. Yeah, I mean, it, it is funny watching people kind of scramble to remake something that exists naturally. Yeah. That's that's the the fun part where you see like oh there's this spark and this ignition and now you're trying to like remake the the fuel and you have no clue what you're doing. Yep. Yeah. Of course, Suncoast is that the reason why their prices were ridiculously high? No, because oh, okay. it, realistically, because well, <laughs> believe me, I heard this a lot. Because <laughs> if you go into Walgreens, Target, any of those companies, right? They they sell movies at a loss. They do not make any yeah, money on movies. Oh, so, interesting. So Suncoast. Had to make movies, money on the movies that uh, were sold. So that $3 off that 
I spent like $25 per episode of Star Trek on VHS. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I had like four of my favorites, and that was all I could afford yeah. in yeah. high school, yeah. mind you. Well, yeah. Then there, there used to be the going way old school on movies. There used to be what was called you know the rental pricing, where when movies, children, gather around. Let me tell you a story of the olden days when movies first came out. First, you to, teach us about the phone. <laughs> tell right. us more, Grandpa Margaret. That's right. When movies used to come out on video. Okay, a movie would go to a theater mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s. Movies go to a theater. Five to six months later, it'll show up on video, and it'll be out at $100 per movie. Mm-hmm. And that's what the rental stores buy it for. And then six months to a year after that, it comes out at 15 or $20. So it took forever to get friggin' movie. Now yeah. it's like, if you think... That movie's out last week. Why isn't it on video demand yet? Jesus, have some patience. I know. Be I've been shocked week. where I'm like, oh, I, that movie's in theaters, right? Oh, no, but I can buy it. But it's still in theaters. But I can buy... What? What? That's like with Sus- the remake of Suspiria. I'm like, okay, this is owned by Amazon. Right. So it's going to come out real quick. It's like, no, it came out in November and didn't hit video on demand until like the end of January. I'm going... Yeah. <laughs> you That's had to so wait. long. <laughs> you had to wait a whole month. All of December. <laughs> December and January were pure hell. Pure suspiria hell. Then you didn't even love it. Yeah. It was, it, was, you know, it was worth watching, but it wasn't. I don't know if I'll be watching I, it again. I think soon. if it was episodic on Amazon, it would have done really well. It felt like it was supposed to be episodic. <laughs> I can just see that. I can, yeah. I mean, with the that. titles, if you break that movie into what, four? Yeah. 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 Then it'd be really good. Interesting. Mm. Well, let's wind this up. Vanessa, thank you so much for being a part of this episode. Thank you for having me. Where can people get a hold of you if you want them to? Oh, Uh, right. Well, (laughs) if you want to, I don't know why you would, but um, you can find me. My website's um, www.filmet.com. F-I-L-M-E-T-T-E. And that's my Twitter handle as well is uh, at filmet. Um, so you can find me there. I don't recommend finding me on Twitter. That's where I put like late night poetry when I'm really <laughs> bored and angry. It I don't may- know. That sounds like a reason. To it's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. And now I've got business contacts trying to like friend me on there. I'm like, no, you don't want this. You don't want this business. It's so bad, but feel free to find me on there. And then you'll also be at Crypticon in the I will be. of May, yeah. and you've got panels. Yep, and- I'll be there with um, Side B um, and hanging out with you guys and all the other people who are going to be out there. So it should be a lot of fun. Fantastic. Eric, what's going on with you? <laughs> all Crypticon all the time right, right. now. I'm trying to get uh, some, doing some edit, trying to do more editing too so I can finish up the three damn projects I need to finish up. Yeah, I'm putting together all the films. I got all but one of them, so it's going well. So mm-hmm. it should be, it'll be that. Excellent. How about you? Uh, I am a sometimes guest panelist on the Lovecraft Easing podcast, which airs live on Sundays, and then they put it out like the next Tuesday as a a listen to only podcast. But if you watch live YouTube stuff, you can comment and discuss on their little side thing that they've got there. And then uh, that's about it for me. I'm writing and and doing some shit like that. Nice, cool. So, Where can you find us? You can find us at Strange Eons Radio on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, Instagram, on everything. What is what does Strange Eons mean? Where does that come from? Strange Eons comes from a quote from the story The Call of Cthulhu by H.P. Lovecraft. Uh-huh. And the couplet that they find with uh, the location of Cthulhu is, That is not dead, which can eternal lie. And with strange eons, even death may die. 
Ooh, chills. <laughs> so basically, it says, uh, you know, if if something can sleep forever, it's not really death. And when times get weird, then maybe it's not going to be dead anymore. Maybe it'll wake up. There you go. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. Oh, well, thank you for asking. No one's ever asked or cared. I, I was I was yeah. going to say, I wonder if like this is something you explain every single time and you guys are yeah. like, oh God, she asked the question. Nope. Our listeners are going to be so annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> we, I say the same quote all, every week. All three of them. <laughs> That's right. Hey, we're up to like almost double digit reviews on uh, iTunes. We are. I am so yeah, thank you. Thank you. For thank you very much for that. that. And Eric was telling me the thousands of downloads and everything. Yeah. And I was like, Holy shit, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if it's more than I can count on my hand, I'm happy. <laughs> me too. I, when you gave me the number, I was like, I have no idea if that's good or bad, but it makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, please continue to drop a review if you can and uh, spread the word. Our advertising budget consists of you telling your friends that you like us. So <laughs> we really appreciate it. Eric, you are choosing the yes. topic for next episode. Oh, uh, yes, that'll be the uh, Satanic Panic. Fantastic. Uh, the specific, I don't know if it necessarily has to be from the 80s, but I think it's going to be your best option most of the time. But that's when the Satanic Panic was the most fun. That's true. <laughs> that's... <laughs> the trials. Right. Yes. Okay, so we will be back with the next episode, and we'll be talking about uh, Satanic Panic films. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.